Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. <clears throat> AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Body Bags with Joseph Scott Morgan. Have you ever been in a position where your doorbell has rung and you don't know who's actually going to be showing up, but you think you had an appointment with someone? You walk to your door, and just imagine this just for a second. You walk to your door. And there is a diminutive little lady standing there, and she looks like a child, and she's dressed in a schoolgirl's outfit, and she's carrying a book bag with her. And you look at her, and you remember, oh, yeah, she is my tutorial uh, appointment that I have because I, she has arranged for me to come over, and uh, I'm going to help her learn English. And you open the door up, and all of a sudden you realize that you've opened the door 
and Satan has walked through. I'm Joseph Scott Morgan, and this is Body Bags, live from Orlando Crime Con 2023. Dave, we began, thank you guys. We began to talk about a topic that has to do with forensics, and it kind of pivoted on this particular case because one of the things I was I was thinking about at the time, it seems, and it, some of this is media perception, I know, because I get so much stuff incoming. Dave does too, because Dave does a lot of research for Nancy. Matter of fact, a ton of research. So when you hear her on the air, a lot of the research behind the scenes is coming from this man, okay? So, but what we did notice is that there seemed to be an uptick in the number of dismemberment cases that were presenting in the news, and we're going to talk about some of those and kind of talk about the nature of dismemberment and how that impacts forensic scientists and what we look for, it seems, particularly from a medical legal perspective. But back to this, <laughs> this young lady that showed up at the door, it, it was an absolutely gruesome event, and I can't imagine that anyone would have expected this. You know, the setup here with Young Yu Young, she's South Korean, and the way they actually talked about her is that she is an obsessed crime fan all right one of the articles online actually said she's the kind of girl that would go to crime con that's what caught our attention is this is a crime fan and her goal she's 23 years old but she's short and if you see pictures of her she looks young she poses as her mother and calls this tutor and says i have a 14 year old daughter she's going into ninth grade she wants to learn english and so she sets up a day and time then as her mother then as herself, she goes online and orders a schoolgirl outfit. She shows up wearing this school uniform as a ninth grader, presents herself to the tutor as such, and is allowed in. I've seen pictures of her. She looks like she's about 14, Joe. She's very diminutive, tiny. You know, the last person in the world that you would expect to rain down hell on this poor woman that teaches people in her house. And I think that, that what really caught my eye with this well first off she's a true crime fan yeah. obsessed <laughs> crime she's, fan she's obsessed with it yeah and it's that was fascinating to me and I think that one one of the issues with her is she now dig this she wanted to find out if she could get away with it if she could yeah. commit a crime and I'm not talking about just a homicide but also a dismemberment relative to when you begin to kind of look at the totality of it, um, all of the trace evidence, tool mark evidence, everything that we do in my little world where you can actually tie something back to this. And she wanted to see if she could get past all of that. She studied everything. She watched all the shows. She went online. I mean, her research was pretty phenomenal. The one thing she forgot, though, is that if you actually watch a lot of true crime stuff, the last three to five minutes are how they got caught, which is where the forensics come into everything. And in this particular case, she had planned everything to the beginning. Remember Leopold and Loeb? They actually wanted to do the perfect crime. Well, so did she. A little research would have showed her she's not the first to attempt this, and the reason we know that is because they all get caught. Yes, yeah, now, they do. Now, her particular thing, and this boggles my mind, is that she was going to just, she's a small lady. I mean, she's right. 23 years old, and she's small. Diminutive is a good term. She looks like a schoolgirl. How is she going to 
take care of the situation? How is she going to manage it, Joe? How is she going to take this tutor, kill her, dismember her, then cutting her up, and then dispose of the body? How is she going to create this perfect crime? You know, for a long time, not only was I in the field as an investigator, but the best classroom I was ever in was the morgue. And over the course of my career, I participated in over 7,000 autopsies. So, and it doesn't mean that I'm some brilliant genius. It just means I was too dumb to walk out of the autopsy room. So every time a case would be there, I would help and participate in it as a dean or an autopsy assistant. And so, but the, the, the difference is in that environment when we're doing dissections or as forensic pathologists refer to them as prosections, we have the instruments that we need there, very sharp instruments. We've got everything from very sharp scalpels, we have scissors, we have big knives to do dissections with, uh, and we have bone saws, uh, agitating bone saws. If you've never seen one, you probably hear them or see them on these television shows, and they make a real high-pitched sound like this, and it's an agitating saw. Just imagine if you've ever had a cast. That's what one of these saws is like. They're actually you know, when you think about that you want a tissue, you say, give me a Kleenex. Well, <laughs> in our world, if somebody says, I need to know where the striker is, striker is actually a brand of saw, and it's something that I've been using for years and years. But it, you can use it for very robust and delicate work. Is it going to have teeth on it like a saw I would it use It does have tiny little teeth, like exactly like a, a cast saw. But if you were to turn on an agitating saw, uh, a bone saw, or in this case, a striker, and place it to your skin, it's not, going to, it's not going to hurt you to the point where it's going to break the skin. And that's the trick, because if someone is about to dismember an individual, you literally have to get through the soft tissue first. And what we're finding in a lot of these cases is they show up ill-prepared, um, and a lot of these events are, um, are events of convenience, where they'll show up or, or use something that's within their reach. We're gonna talk about a case in just a moment where the individual will reach out and, and grab something that's in the, in the knife drawer or something that's out in the shed, and it's a tool that is not necessarily made for that purpose. All right, what did she use here? What did Young Zhu Young use to dismember her tutor? Well, for her, she actually used knives that okay. she brought along with her. I've cut a steak before. Yeah. Cheap one, tough to cut. I got a feeling a body that was warm a few minutes ago is not going to be easy to cut with any knife. No, it's not. They're, they're too, uh, most of the time, they're very malleable. Um, the fresh dead are. And right, so she would have had to have been there for a while. Yeah. Now she would have had to get through the bone too. Yeah, yeah, she would have. And that's, that's another difficulty too for somebody that's never been faced with the situation. And some of the things that uh, people that commit dismemberments are, uh, are become quickly aware of, if their purpose to do this they don't expect how much blood there's going to be, and that's why in the morgue we have a stainless steel table that has a water source on it. Uh, they okay, don't. Well, wait a minute. How yeah. much are we talking about? I'm just right here with the 23-year-old using knives yes. to cut up a body. How much blood is there? I mean, are we talking quartz? Are we talking... Well, you know, if you think about... And average is relative, but you begin to think about the human body. It can have anywhere from roughly just under one and a half gallons to... There are some studies that say over two gallons. So 
And again, a lot of that is dictated by size right. and that sort of thing. What about other body fluids? Because we've all heard the stories that when somebody dies, everything lets go. Well, not that's not necessarily the case really? in every circumstance. I think one of the biggest things that you encounter is when individuals have to or attempt to do a dissection on the body. First off, anatomically, they don't understand connective tissue. They don't understand where the joints are. Even if you look at somebody that's like a butcher, they know that they can disarticulate a body from a joint uh, a lot quicker than going, say, taking a steak knife and try to go across one of the long bones in a leg right. like a femur. Okay. And that, that's something that's not quite, uh, quite, quite, quite possible to do. Okay, and then let's just get to the, she's all cut up. Yes. But you've got a big mess to clean up. Yes. And then you have to transport the body somehow. Yes. All right. Forensically, Joe, what are you going to find after the fact? After this body is now in bags, what's going to be left, even if I use bleach and everything else, as she did, trying to clean up? Yeah, she showed up actually with bleach. And right. here, here's the thing. Uh, you, it, it, it comes to this point where you qualify the people that do these dismemberments, uh, and you think, well, is this – is this a, an event of opportunity where they just suddenly fly into a rage, they kill someone, oh my gosh, what do I do now? Or is it a circumstance where they show up and they're highly prepared and they are able to essentially section the body out into smaller pieces and package that body, whether it be in plastic or paper, tape it up, and they might uh, dispose or deposit the body in a variety of locations. But here's one of the interesting things about dismemberment is that when people perpetrate this and they take the remains from the residents, one of the studies shows that they never go a long distance away yeah. from the area that they're familiar in. This goes to, this actually goes to uh, uh, the phase within serial killing where they hunt in the area. And, you know, we were talking about Gilgo uh, yesterday with Nancy, and some of those early bodies had actually been dismembered. Well, isn't it fascinating that if, in fact, Rex Hurman had, you know, he perpetrated these, uh, the deposition of those early remains as a crow flies is not very far. So it's not like they would drive out of state to deposit these remains or into another location within the state to deposit these remains. So uh, they're going to drop these remains in an approximation, or they're just going to try to disassemble the body and then bury it right there. But here's the problem. Every time you make some kind of strike or mark on even tissue or certainly bone, you leave a little trace of evidence, and this goes back to Lacard's principle that I talk about all the time. Many years ago, Ed, Edmond Lacard, uh, who's called the Sherlock Holmes of France, he made the statement that every contact leaves a trace. So if you think about a knife, a saw, it doesn't matter what kind of saw. It could be a table saw. It could be a chainsaw. It could be a, a carpenter saw that every time you make a mark, you're leaving something that is identifiable by a tool mark expert or a forensic pathologist on that, on that surface. All right. Now, in this particular case, this woman who is an obsessed crime junkie uh, planning the perfect crime, can you imagine when you're figuring out your getaway, how am I going to dispose of these remains? She decided to use a cab. And uh, just for those of us <laughs> during CrimeCon that have used cabs and Uber and everything else, they pay attention. And that's what actually caught her. The cab driver actually was, she was just doing some really unusual things and her bags and everything else. And 
He picks up the phone and calls the law, and there you go. She had not planned out the perfect crime. No, and, and rarely do people, I think that a lot of folks think that um, these dismemberments that you hear about are all related to serial perpetrators who have this long-standing plan where they're really thinking this thing out. I, I beg to differ. In the lion's share of these cases, and certainly as a practitioner when I was with the ME in Atlanta in the corner in New Orleans, the cases that I worked relative to dismemberment had nothing to do with a serial perpetrator. Most of the time, it was, now imagine this, it was an intimate within the circle. It was somebody that the perpetrator had a lot of anger toward. Think about that just for a second. Because it's not enough to merely kill someone, but in a post-mortem state, you're literally disassembling that body and desecrating that body. And so that's kind of a, a fascinating issue relative to that. I'm Joseph Scott Morgan, and a big shout out to Astapro for sponsoring this episode and providing free samples. I live in an area where allergies are a day-to-day issue, and finding an over-the-counter option for relief is like the holy grail. I use Astapro, and I strongly recommend you give it a try. Astapro is a first-of-its-kind nasal allergy spray, and it's the fastest 24-hour over-the-counter allergy spray. It starts working in 30 minutes, while other allergy sprays can take hours. Astapro is the first and only 24-hour steroid-free allergy spray. Astapro delivers full prescription strength indoor and outdoor allergy relief from nasal congestion, runny and itchy nose, and sneezing. Get fast-acting nasal allergy symptom relief with Astapro. Go to AstaproAllergy.com for a discount so you can Astapro and go today. A-S-T-E-P-R-O-Allergy.com. Astapro and go. Use as directed for relief of nasal congestion, runny nose, sneezing, and itchy nose due to allergies. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Years ago, when I got out of my field full-time, I was diagnosed with PTSD. I had sleep disorder. I had depression. And for me, I had to turn to someone to talk to, somebody that could aid me along the path to healing, to restore me to that person that maybe I was at one point in time, to make me better for not just myself, but my family. 
If you're thinking about therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. You can do this anytime that you like. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com bags today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp.com. That's Better, H-E-L-P.com slash bags. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. When I was very young and I just started out with a coroner in New Orleans, uh, we had, in, in that environment, it's very, very harsh. You have bodies that break down very quickly, and we would get many bodies, many remains that would come out of bodies of water. And so we had one in particular that had a bullet hole uh, defect in the back of the head. Right here, if you feel the bump on the back of your, your skull right here, the occiput right in this area, we knew that it was uh, a gunshot wound. Uh, but here's the problem. We didn't know who this person was. And at the time, my dear friend, if you get a chance to check her books out, her name is Mary Manheim, and she's called The Bone Lady. And she founded the Faces Lab at LSU. And she was, they were the first person to actually digitize a human skull. Uh, but we needed to get this skull, this head, to LSU so that she could do an examination of it. And being young, I was 22 years old, and I was terrified of the forensic pathologist that I worked with. And when you're young, anybody can identify with that, somebody that's in this position over you. And he gave me specific instructions, plus he was a former Marine. He looked at me and said, under no circumstances are you to allow this, bot, this head out of your sight. And I was like, yes, sir. And so <laughs> I had actually removed the head at autopsy during our examination. We had done an x-ray on it. You have to, we disarticulated the head between the C1 and the C2. And those tissues are very soft because it's a decomposing body. And he said, grab a cooler, get some ice, put the bag in a head, put the head in a bag, and (laughs) put the, the bag in the cooler, cover it in ice, get in your car, and get to LSU as quickly as you can. Well, I'd been around the body all day long, and you you forget about the smell because you're in the environment. But then I get into my car, which has cloth seats, and I am listening. In the back of my mind, I have have these, these words ringing in my ears, and I have this, it's a styrofoam white cooler. It's sitting on the front seat. And it's in New Orleans, so it's blistering hot. It was summertime, and I had the air on high, and I'd roll down the windows. I used to have a little blue light that I would put on the dash, and you had to plug it into the cigarette lighter. I got on I-10, and I just put my, my foot in it. I was flying, and you come to this area that's called the Bon Carry Spillway. That's this, this area that goes over the far western side of Lake Pontchartrain. And what, what people don't know is that when you get to 
the end of the Bond Carry Spillway, there's a grassy area, and guess who sits there? State Patrol. And so I came off of this thing just blazing that little light, which is about that big, which is kind of spinning very slowly like this. And I'm driving like this because it smells so bad in my car. Well, I get pulled over, and he comes running up to the car, and they normally don't run. And he's like, you know, what in the blanky blank are you doing? Why are you going so fast with that blue light? Where are you going? Why are you, you know, this and that? And I said, sir, can you just smell inside my car? And he stuck his head, and he's like, Jesus, Jesus, what do you got in the box? And the guy's nose was just sticking up out of the ice, and I lifted up the lid like this, and he said, I'll give you an escort like that, and I closed it, and off we went to Baton Rouge. So the reason I, the reason I thought that was kind of a salient point is, is the fact that in the morgue uh, and in that environment, when we have to do dissections, um, we have all of the instruments that are needed within that environment, and with Shabusiness, this case, how many of you guys have heard of the Shabusiness case? It's been in the news for some time, and it's a horrible case. It's something that, uh, first off, that's not actually her name. She legally changed it, and it, the whole thing was kind of super bizarre, and when you hear, begin to hear this played out and what this young man's mother went through um, at the, uh, <laughs> as a result of what she discovered, it made me reflect when Dave and I were talking about this, about that moment on I-10 outside and of New Orleans. I'm just thinking about the 911 call that comes in at 345 from a mother who uh, says, hey, I, um, I found something in a bucket. And I, I don't know what they get. I don't know what 911 calls deal with. I mean, I've heard plenty of them. But this woman found her own son's head in a bucket covered with a towel. And... There were other things in the bucket. Well, okay, there was at least one other thing and a lot of fluid in the bucket, covered with a towel. And that's why she calls 911. Right. And that brings in the officers to come and take a look. And what they found was that Taylor Shabusiness, who's only 24 years old. Yeah. Um, and married. Yeah. And married. Got to add that to it. Um, this is one of those things when you're going, what were you thinking? You know, and you're going, I don't, I don't know how this plays out, but I will tell you this. When you add methamphetamine, sex, and somebody who has a real bent on looking at things, you end up with your head in a bucket. Yeah, and, and this is the thing. They, uh, the victim and Shabusiness were engaged in very risky uh, sex play, yes. bondage, torture, that sort of thing. And it's one of these moments that kind of escalated in this particular event uh, when the mother actually came down the stairs, as Dave was pointing out. And I, I think that it's kind of one of those moments in time where the perpetrator does this and they're not, maybe they're in this rush, this moment of excitement. They grab what is at hand in order to facilitate this. They know that they're dealing with a lot of blood, which right. they had in this case. Uh, and she deposits his head in a bucket and beneath his head were actually his genitalia that she had removed as well. And then she covered it uh, and left this behind for the mother to find. And this is, not, this is not a case where an individual had thought through in order to kill someone, dismember the body, and then 
begin to deposit it. It's almost like there is another level of anger and evil that's involved in this. And I think that even she had stated that she didn't necessarily hold any kind of anger toward him at all. He became, he became kind of a plaything for her, I think, at that point in time. Mm. And she decided to act out wildly, in my opinion, this, this fantasy that involved literally dismembering part of his body and leaving it there for the mom to find. She took off, um, she took off uh, other items from his body as well. Um, you know, the one thing that she told police as they were going through the investigation, uh, she admitted that she remembered strangling him. Or no, she knows that she strangled him, but she actually told police, okay, I don't remember strangling him, but I remember liking it. Yeah. How can and, you like something you don't remember? Well, I, I think, again, that, and again, not a psychologist, but I see the result of, of what happens relative to these events that are just infused with anger and what could drive an individual that might otherwise, in any other circumstance, not go to this extreme in order to begin to essentially take a part of body of a young man and then on top of it, leave it within the residence that is the residence of his mom. He lived in the basement uh, and the mother and for the mother to find. And it's one of these shocking events that uh, it's almost like a one-two punch. Not only are you having to, first off, realize that your son's head is in a bucket, and I can only imagine at that moment in time, how is she going to be able to process that? But the reality, her son is dead, and potentially this person that he's friends with has done this and has I don't know. I would think she's still in the house at this point. Right, and it's not even just stopping at the head. That's the other part of this going back to dismemberment. I mean, you don't want to say, well, like, not, that's not bad enough. I mean, it is. But cutting off his uh, private parts just adds to it. But that wasn't where she stopped. There, she actually told police, yeah, you found this part, but good luck finding the additional parts. Yeah, that, that, that was the big thing for me from a forensic standpoint. You begin to think about because some of that initial information when you show up at the scene and you have either a suspect or somebody that might be a primary witness, they're giving you fresh information at that point in time. When the police actually arrested her, she was so bold as to say, good luck finding everything else, everything else relative to this young man's body that she had just sat there and actually toyed with. And done away. And and here's here's another thing that's that's kind of fascinating, and this plays into another level of this. She was charged. In addition to this, she was charged with sexual assault on a corpse in this particular case as well. So she had involved herself in penetrative sex with a corpse in addition to dismembering his remains. And see, the other part of this too that I was looking at, and that's why I made notes, Joe, because when we've covered this story, and a lot of you are familiar with it, but. I was looking at the fact that they found, like, they're finding parts in other places, like in her minivan. Yeah. Finding a leg here and, uh, you know, a thigh over here or what. I mean, it's like a bucket of chicken almost. And it's like, we're human beings. We're supposed to be better than that. But for whatever reason, we have now come to this level in life where the body is nothing. Yeah, and I think that you have a callousness that rises up. And, and the fact that she would take something with her of this of this gentleman's mortal remains and have them in her vehicle. Uh, she had indicated that they were there uh, and that the police actually found them there. And it, it gives you an idea of the comfort that she had being around the remains. And that's, that's a... How that's long would it take to do this, Joe? How long would it take to... I mean, chopping off the guy's head and his private parts, I get it. That's got to be hard through the neck, though. How are you going to cut through the neck with... 
it, it, it could knives. be accomplished if you had a sharp enough knife and if you were limited, which she was, if you're limited to anything that is at hand, like a carpenter saw, or if you had a strong serrated knife, it could be possible. The trick is to find the soft spot or where the discs are located in the neck in order to cut through them. It's very difficult. The, the vertebral bodies are very robust, so this is not something you're going to get through with a steak knife. So you look for those weak points in there in order to dissect off the head. And then cutting up all the other parts. We've got a foot here and... Yeah, and it, it, takes, it takes some time, and it takes purpose. And th this is it because, you know, look, I, I'm not saying that I'm a serial killer or a dismemberer, but <laughs> I've spent a lot of time in the morgue. I have tools that are at my, uh, at my disposal in order to facilitate this, and I have some understanding of human anatomy. You're talking about a person that's coming in cold to this that, to the best of our knowledge at this point in time, she has no previous experience with whatsoever. I don't think she's an anatomist. I don't think that she's a nurse. Uh, she doesn't understand this at this point in time. All she knows is that she's in a fever, and during this period of time, the sex was not simply enough. She had to take it to the next level. Are you going to be able to identify what knife was used to cut this? Will it be parts on the bone? I know going through soft tissue and joints, but you're going to be hitting bone, I would think, you know, on accident, if nothing else. Can you yeah. trace that nick or cut back to the right knife? Well, yeah, and if you have, you know, if you have this evidence that is left behind on the bone, we, we get what is referred to. Um, how many of you guys have ever used a handsaw on a piece of wood? And when you first begin to utilize the saw, it jumps out of that initial groove that you create, and it kind of hops over. Uh, those refer to a stop start. So if you, and you'll see multiple of these, if you're just doing carpentry around the house or something, you don't have a skill saw, you're just using an old, and sometimes it's hard to get started. Um, What's it happens, like getting started on skin? Well, you have to trim through the skin with a, an edged weapon in order to get down to the bone in order to facilitate this. And is it possible? Yes, it is possible in the morgue. We can tell the difference on soft tissue uh, if uh, compared, say, a smooth blade, a non-serrated edge blade, we can see the difference between the margins of those injuries relative to a serrated blade as opposed to, say, a traditional butcher knife. But you have to get through all of the soft tissue, the skin, the sub-Q fat, down through the muscle, and then finally to the bone. And the knife is just not going to cut it. So <laughs> you're going to have to use something else that you can facilitate this with to actually move, you know, to remove the, the limb. Well, so when you were talking about it jumping out of the track, okay, when you're holding a piece of wood and you do that, I yeah. mean, it, it's hard. I mean, you actually can, you slowly get it going. And that's what I was thinking with getting through skin and everything else, mm -hmm. that that would have to, it'd be wiggly, I would think. I mean, I'm not trying to be gross. I'm just trying to, in my head. Yeah, and so every time uh, Steve Sims, who, who works as a forensic anthropologist and trained famously at the, at the body farm, um, Steve is one of the leading experts in the world on uh, tool marks on bone. And he studied uh, dismemberment cases for years and years. And so uh, he categorizes these things relative to uh, whether or not it is a power tool. Uh, and when I say power tool, I'm talking about something that requires electricity. You know, I, re uh, I mentioned a skill saw. You could have a table saw, which we've had cases like that. Uh, we could use, somebody could potentially use a saw saw to take off a wrist, uh, and certainly chainsaws. That's a powered instrument. And so each one of these is going to be very unique. Here's the trick, though. Um, one of the things about these edged, 
edged instruments is that they are unique to the user, how they've been cared for. So you can have, it's almost like ballistic evidence as well. If you, if you have a knife that is of the same type and they are made in the same run, depending upon how these knives are stored, how they're utilized, you could have the same knife created in the same day and they're going to leave behind a different mark on the bone because of their utility, how they've been used over the years. And at a microscopic level, particularly if you look at them on cross-section, uh, you'll be able to appreciate this. If it, it's just so you can kind of get an idea about this, if you've ever seen... Um, seen a spiral cut ham and you look at the ham and the long bone that goes through the center of the ham you'll see these kind of swirls that are on the end of the bone that's actually the saw passing through and trimming it out those are specific tool marks that are left behind so when you think and and here's the thing many times uh, people that do dismember I've had several cases where people would get frustrated and could not make it through the bone and they'll take the actual bone and crack it and then, and then slice through the rest of the soft tissue. So you'll have an area where you'll have a tool mark strike, an initial area there, and then it'll be this kind of post-traumatic, I say post-traumatic, it's post-mortem fracturing that goes on where the bone is snapped away and then they cut the rest of it through and through. So it's not as quick as one might see it in, in a no, movie? No, 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 no. It's, it's, not, it's, not, it's not even quick in the morgue. When you're working in when that you have all the prepared stuff for have, the fluid and everything else, completely prepared, and it's something that's very painstaking. And again, I go back to this idea: where does your mind have to be if you're not working in, say, like a morgue? And I hate to compare to this, but somebody that's comfortable in the slaughtering of animals, and right. you know, you you hear all these tropes that are on these TV shows and everything. Well, I think we're looking for somebody that's been, you know, that's worked in a slaughterhouse or it's a butcher or it's a, you know, they kept saying all of that about Jack the Ripper for right. many years, you know, and talking about skill. And, but there's some truth in that because you have to feel comfortable within that environment, within the volume of blood that you have to deal with and the smells uh, and those things that you don't anticipate that you're going to encounter along the way. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. 
wait is almost over. Get ready for the 2024 NFL season as the full schedule is announced. Every rivalry, every rematch, every rookie debut, every game revealed. The 2024 NFL schedule release presented by Verizon coming in May. Live on NFL Network, ESPN2, and streaming on NFL+. Plus. Terms and conditions apply to NFL+. Plus. Visit nfl.com slash schedule release to learn more. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right, but not everybody acts like Taylor Shabiznis, where in the heat of the moment, on drugs, having sex, chains, and everything else, some people actually go into this with a game plan. Such is the case of Joel Guy Jr. Yes. Uh, he's a 28-year-old man who did not support himself. His mother and father got tired of it. They were just done with taking care of their adult son, and they were going to cut him off. Yes. And so he decides um, they live in Tennessee. He's a student still. Yeah. Okay. At LSU. Yeah, at LSU. And Off and on. Yeah, he was. Think about it. You're 28. You're living off mom and dad. You don't have really a job or anything else. You're just going to stay in school enough to claim you're a student. Well, he decides now that he knows they're going to cut him off to go back home and visit. And during his visit, he has a plan. And the end result was nothing less than one of the most disgusting things I've ever had to cover or I've ever had to read from the sheriff's department. To give you an idea, I wrote the quote down because. It was referred to as a diabolical stew of human remains. And he did it to his own parents, to his mom and dad. Mm -hmm. That's what Joel Guy Jr. ended up with. But Joe, he starts off mad. Yes. Parents are cutting me off. I can get $500,000 for them if they're missing. And his goal is to make them disappear. Right. How do you come into this after... Basically, it's a welfare check, which, by the way, that was the one commonality through a number of these dismemberment cases. I didn't see him around for a while. Better call the police. What happened to Joe? And yeah. that's what happened with his parents. Parent, friends haven't seen him in a while. Yeah. Where are they? How are they doing? Yeah, and, and when the police arrived, uh, I think, well, several of the investigators remarked the fact that this, they, in all of their years, they had never encountered anything like this. And I, th I think probably the most ghastly thing is when they go into the kitchen. Um, now, his, to be clear, he stabbed them. He cut them up. Right. Yeah, so I'm sorry. He's already facilitating this with yeah. an edged weapon. Uh, and um, and he, he stabs Dad multiple times. And he's actually written out a, a game plan for this. I was uh, going to ask you, how do you know when it says they stabbed him 42 times or yeah. more? In this particular case, the re he was stabbing them when he killed them and he hurt himself. And Joel Guy Jr., during the course of this, had cut himself and he actually had to leave to bandage it. 
because he was bleeding too much. While he was gone, that's when the police came in to do the well-being check, mm -hmm. and that's how they found all of this. If you can imagine, he didn't think he was going to get caught. He was in the middle of doing this witch's brew, and they came into it. So that's why they found the list. Yeah, and they did, and he, he had this planned out to the point where he included information like, okay, I have to get rid of him, then I have to get rid of her. These are the instruments that I need. And, oh, by the way, I stand to collect $500,000 in insurance money. And this is all included. And after, after the fact, uh, you know, you, you've, you've got these police that are showing up and at this gruesome scene. And, again, this goes back to, okay, he's planned all of this out. He's going to do it within the containment of his house, which is something I think that is important to remember in this case and certainly – as they move forward with Gilgo, beginning to think about, you need privacy. You need a location where you can, you know, where you're away from prying eyes, if you will, within this environment. And so in that moment in time, he leaves his mother's head on the stove in a, in a pot boiling. And he's going to render down her remains as best he can. Uh, here, you know, one of the, the big issues with this, though, is that there is blood evidence everywhere. Again, this goes back to, I don't think a lot of people really anticipate how much trace and blood evidence is going to be left behind when you begin to talk about the dismemberment of the body. If you're using um, any kind of saw, for instance, where, you're, where it's highly agitated. Now, I'll give you an idea going back to the morgue. When we use bone saws in the morgue, there is this, and I don't know if you can... I'll give you an, an idea so that you can kind of get this in your mind. Have you ever taken talcum powder and put it in your hand and blown it like this, and you see how it floats in the air and kind of descends down, and you can actually smell it? You, you know what I'm talking about, the smell of talcum powder? Bone dust is much that way, even with the agitating saws. Now, they have vacuums on these things now that will catch it, but for years and years, uh, we had bone, saw, bone dust that would just be floating in the air you know, in the morgue as we were working these cases. That's going to come up, too, because as if you're using a high-speed tool, you'll leave behind any kind of deposition of bone dust. You'll have these little pockets. It almost looks like small bits of, 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 uh, of sawdust. Did you ever inhale any of that? Yes, I did. Yeah. Yeah, and it's, yeah. even if you wear a mask, you're still going to inhale it. Uh, so you would have the smell of bone dust in, in, your, in your passages. And so you could, it inhabits, you know, what you do in that environment. Today, it's a little bit different. Some people, well, some people don't. Uh, you know, back when I first started, you had, I still worked with pathologists many years ago. There was one old pathologist that never wore gloves <laughs> in the morgue, and he refused to wear a mask. He would strip down to his T-shirt, roll his pants up, and he would wear a white apron. Half the time we're doing the show, I feel like i got to take a bath. I'm <laughs> he, not kidding, he just man. Said, well, he said that it decreased gloves decreased his tactile ability to be able to appreciate things, and he said there's always soap. So, I, And he never trimmed his nails, which really bothered me too. So, wow. But at any rate, uh, you have this environment in which these people are indwelling, and they're in this environment for the very first time, and they're exposed to all of this. And it's almost like uh, they have so much that they're having to deal with at this moment. And when we're talking about Joel Guy, you're not just talking about, I don't mean to be dismissive when I say that, but you're talking about your mom and dad. Mm -hmm. And so yeah. how do you get past that psychologically as you're taking apart their body? That comes back to this issue of anger. We see this with sharp force injuries. He stabbed 
his parents multiple times. One was over 30, one was over 40. So he's already got this indwelling anger. But if you're so pumped up on adrenaline while you're doing that, how are you going to continue this on through as you're attempting to take apart the body? And mistakes are made. And certainly in his case, he left blood everywhere. Well, because they interrupted him in process. Yeah. Uh, he had planned on having this time to himself to be able to go through his whole process that he had mapped mm -hmm. out. But going back to the stab wounds, how important is it for you to know? I mean, I'm going to be honest. Whether it's 22 or 42, the man's dead. From a forensic standpoint, how important it, is it to you to have the whole file completed that you know how many times he was stabbed? Well, what's important, I think, with sequencing of stab wounds is, first off, and there's, there's no, when you read autopsy reports, uh, which, you know, you see a lot when, they're coming, when cases are coming to trial, the medical examiner, the pathologist, when they're reading these things out, will say, okay, I've got 40 stab wounds, okay? And I'm going to list them A through Z or whatever it is. It's double Z sometimes. I mean, I've seen triple Z. It, you've got so many injuries. This in no way indicates sequencing. There is one sequence that we can be aware of, though. We can tell a difference between what is antemortem before death and what is postmortem. And when you're talking about with antemortem, when an individual is being attacked, uh, you know, I'm thinking like, for instance, like, I don't know, Ellen Greenberg. Mm -hmm. uh, you begin to think about that. In those wound tracks, where are you appreciating hemorrhage in that environment? And at what point in time does the hemorrhage start or stop? Also, what organ systems are impacted? Are you going directly into the heart? Are you striking a major vessel in the neck? Um, any of these issues are in the back of the head. You know, if you're striking back here with an edged weapon, is there a focal area of hemorrhage back there? Because if there is hemorrhage in dwelling, that means that the person was alive at this time. So, you know, you hear us talk about a lot in true crime. You hear us talking, we use the term overkill. And that's important to us because I think that if you're in your rational mind, you can understand, okay, I've stabbed them this many times. This is enough. I'm going to carry it on to the nth degree. And all the while that this attack is going on, you're transferring more and more evidence onto yourself as the perpetrator, blood evidence, those sorts of things. And in Joel Guy's case, he injured himself. So now he's depositing evidence, perhaps, on these remains of his parents as he's trying to get rid of them. Have you ever seen somebody that tried to use some type of an acid uh, mixture to melt the body down to dissolve them? Only on rare occasions have I seen that um, where the rendering takes place. I've seen far more people that have attempted to render down bodies through heat. In the TV show Breaking Bad, they would uh, Walter White had this whatever elixir they could put into a light plastic drum and drop the body in there. You guys saw that, and it would dissolve. Mm -hmm. But in this case, he's doing it on the stove. He's got plastic tubs around. I don't know what kind of acid concoction he made, but could a body be rendered down into a liquefied form that could just be poured out in the river and there'd be no, you wouldn't have any proof they ever existed? Yeah, I suppose that it could, but rendering generally is not so much a uh, where you're, it's an application of chemicals. Like I had stated, in my experience, most of the rendering takes place in heat, uh, and this is a little known uh, fact. I don't know, maybe some of you guys in the audience are aware of it. When, um, going back to my example of the head, uh, uh, when we have remains and the forensic anthropologist is trying to examine the bone, 
one of the problems that you encounter with this is you can't appreciate the bone because you still have soft tissue. Well, where does the soft tissue go? You don't want to do anything to the underlying bone that is going to damage it or compromise any kind of trace evidence that's on there, whether it is a tool strike, a bullet hole, or any kind of fiber that might, well, not fiber, that wouldn't make sense. But let me just <laughs> cut to the chase here. We've All got right. very limited time. Yeah. Um, they will actually take apart the body, disarticulate the body, and it's placed into, uh, it looks like a cauldron. Mm -hmm. uh, we actually had these at the ME in Atlanta, and it almost like a crock pot. And what happens is that it begins to render the body down the soft tissue so it falls away from the bone. It's a very, a very low heat, and the bones settle to the bottom. You get this kind of beige froth that comes up at the top. You can take out the bones at this point in time and really, truly appreciate them in that context. Uh, and there's other methodologies that I won't go into that, the, uh, that uh, forensic anthropologists have mm -hmm. used for years and years to remove soft tissue. But most of the time, it's going to involve heat because everybody has access to heat. Most people uh, don't understand what is necessary from um, a chemistry standpoint in order to facilitate what they're trying to do. And it's very frustrating, and they could wind up harming themselves as well. Thank you guys for joining us today. I'm Joseph Scott Morgan, and this is Body Bags from Orlando CrimeCon 2023. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you, and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, We've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at Chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's Chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. The wait is almost over. Get ready for the 2024 NFL season as the full schedule is announced. Bring it Every rivalry, every rematch, every rookie debut, every game revealed. The 2024 NFL Schedule Release, presented by Verizon, coming in May. Live on NFL Network, ESPN2, and streaming on NFL+. Terms and conditions apply to NFL+. Visit nfl.com slash schedule release to learn more.